0: what to do with all the panettone you accumulate over the holidays, and one of the finest gelato cities in Italy. This week, we're in Florence. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson, and welcome to Destination Eat, Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. Each week, we're in a different city to explore that place's culture and cuisine. And this week, one of the most historic cities in the world, the birthplace of the Renaissance and the city that's on almost everyone's bucket list, Florence. For this episode, my guest is Tony Mazzaglia. She's an American expat who's made her home in Italy for many, many years. Her company is called Taste Florence. And she takes visitors on a culinary tour of Florence. So Tony's definitely the person to talk to about food in Florence. And if you're new to our show, this is our 99th episode. And all the episodes that we've done on Destination Eat Drink are free at radiomisfits.com. I've done episodes on foodie cities all over the world from Rio to Mexico City, Chicago to Portland, Morocco to Tokyo, Lisbon to Vienna. I've even done a couple episodes on Hawaii, three episodes on New Zealand, and they're all there for you to listen to for free at radiomisfits.com. Destination, eat, drink. Tony, you're in Florence, and... The pandemic hit Italy especially hard at the beginning, but everyone I talk to in Italy has just been really happy with the way that the government and the people of Italy have responded. What's your reaction been to how the pandemic has been handled and how you're dealing with it in Florence?
1: I have to say I'm I'm really impressed uh, at how we handled it. Uh, it was you know pretty scary in the beginning because we were the first country in, in Europe to be struck with the pandemic or at the time the the virus, and um, you know we it was just thrown at us and nobody really knew how to handle any of this. And considering the little information we had to work with, I feel like the, the government did a really good job stepping in, um, deciding to shut things down to keep us home, and we've gradually reopened. Most people are really well behaved. They're wearing masks. Um, It's a huge relief to me because um, I was when I was in quarantine, I was by myself and I was in a very isolated area. So to come out of quarantine for me was really uh, a big transition. And so to come out into the world and see people wearing their masks and being respectful and just using common sense.
0: It's like a, it's like a movie emerging from a cave or a spaceship or something. You're isolated for so yes. long. That's kind of how I feel, you know. Is I, I go out, you know, and exercise a little bit, but man, other than the stops at Whole Foods, that's about it. And seeing another human yeah, being, too. it's like, oh my goodness, how has uh, how has this affected the tourism industry? Because it's like the tourism industry has been probably one of the hardest hit areas of it i hear italian government officials talking all the time about Mm -hmm. you know how hard tourism has been hit
1: it's been rough um i mean it it, you know it, it happened also the timing was what early march we went into lockdown and that's generally right around the time we start to pick up for tourism at least in florence you know venice has a different rhythm because of carnival and everything but for florence it's usually i like to say from around easter to around thanksgiving is our tour season And so (laughs) right before Easter, we went into lockdown. Uh, I had just a a very complicated situation, refunding people. I refunded everybody I could immediately. It's been a learning experience. It's been an eye-opener. It's made me realize um, how much I love what I do and how much I love the the places I go. Um, And I I wouldn't say just me. I would say almost everyone I've, I've spoken to or read what they're writing or listened to what they're saying that's in tourism we were all starting to take everything for granted. I would say our jobs, but also this city. I mean, just everything the city has to offer because when it is a busy season and you're working, you know, you're working working Sundays and holidays and things and um, you, you tend to get a little desensitized. You forget that you're walking by, you know, Brunelleschi's Dome and, and walking by these amazing right, right. churches and monuments and artwork and food and i mean food i i tend to never um, <laughs> ignore but <laughs> that's i mean that's pretty much what i live for but um, but you do get you're tired and so you're just you go to work and you go home and um, this year we've had you know we miss we miss working but we're also this is the first year since i started doing food tours 12 13 years ago that i've been able to relax in the summer in the spring and in the fall these are normally times that I'm super stressed out. So I think it's been humbling. It's been a learning experience. And it's also made all of us appreciate what we had and hope we'll go back to normal.
0: You know Monica from Venice was telling me the same thing. Mm-hmm. She's like I get to I get to kind of look around at these places that I'm that I'm dashing by on a daily basis and really get to enjoy them and I I can't imagine being in a in a city like Florence and getting to just soak that in on a daily basis. Now mm-hmm. Tony you're American how did you wind mm-hmm. up in Florence?
1: So um, I am American. All of my great-grandparents were born in Italy and went to the States around 1915, 1920. And I, do, I also have a, a, an Italian passport through my bloodline, through Iori Sanguinis. And um, so I, I came over here originally on my way to study abroad in Spain in 1997. Spain was my original love and Spanish was my you know, original goal. And then I got here and something just clicked. Um, I've never liked my food on the same plate and, you know, in Italy, you've been to Italy several times, everything's served on a separate plate here. And as soon as I got here and saw that, I was like, these are my people, <laughs> <laughs> like this, this is my shit. <laughs> like, this is where I'm supposed to be, you know, um, just like these little things, you know, how Italy is like little by little you get sucked in. And, um, and so I just gradually over the the two months that I was going to just, randomly hang out in italy before going to spain for a study abroad i ended up um i had a dream that i found family in sicily actually i didn't even know where my family was so i had a dream that i found my long-lost relatives and a friend of mine in luca i was studying italian in luca here in tuscany Mm. and um, he helped me look up my last name in a phone book and (laughs) um, all the phone books and made phone calls and finally this one woman in palermo said Uh, That was my husband's last name. He's deceased, but we're not from Palermo. The last name, Mazzaglia, comes from the Catania area. And so then we went back and we looked more. And long story short, I ended up, bing, bam, boom, got on a bus, got on a train, got on another bus, showed up um, in Sicily in, I want to say it was like early July it was so hot oh, geez. and I could barely speak the language and I was in the wrong town. We had guessed <laughs> this town called Nicolosi because everybody in the phone book has my last name. So we're like, that must be it. So I went down there and I got to the youth hostel and the guy at the youth hostel took me outside and I didn't even know what he was saying because I could barely understand Italian. All I understood was he was saying Americana and grandpa and things like that. And he took me next door and um, introduced me to the woman that worked in the town hall. And uh, he like called up to her window because it was lunch break. And so the next day I went to town hall and then from town hall, we were, they couldn't find my great grandfather's birth certificate. So they called all the town halls in the little towns all around, around the area. And I ended up um, getting a ride from that lady's friend who just happened to work every Wednesday, only Wednesdays in the town that my great grandfather was born. And I I hitched a ride with her and um, I went to the town hall there and uh, hours after flipping through, dusty documents this man named mario who was just an angel found everything made photocopies and then his boss came and started yelling at him because it had been like four hours (laughs) and uh and i thought we were going to get kicked out and instead of getting kicked out we went upstairs oh the other reason he was being really nice though is it was july it was really hot and my great-grandfather's documents were down in the basement because they were really old So as soon as we got downstairs and it was nice and cool, he didn't want to leave. Right,
0: right. And (laughs) of course, there's no air conditioning anywhere.
1: (laughs) No. And there was only one tiny oscillating fan in the whole office when I, because when I first got there, we were upstairs and he just looked like he had no desire to help me, you know? And as soon as his... His mind went to the downstairs and the, the, you know, we need to go downstairs. The documents are down there. He looked really nice and happy. (laughs) And we got down there and we were down there for hours. And then his boss came and again, I could barely speak the language. So all I understood was pranzo, pranzo. And he's Uh, like, you know, lunch, lunch. (laughs) And he's, he's, and he's pointing at his watch. And so I'm like, Oh, I guess this is it, you know? And we go upstairs and Mario, instead of kicking me out, gets on a computer and it was, like, one of those old computers with the green block writing. And this is 1997. Like, we had newer computers at the time. But it was a really old computer. It was a government office. And um, next thing I know, I see Salvatore Mazzalia. So I see a first name I don't know, but I see my last name. And I see an address. And the guy writes it down on a little sheet of paper. And he's like, come on, let's go meet your family. Oh, nice. And I was just like, Ugh! I mean, like, yeah, I just didn't even realize it was all happening. Because even though he found all these documents, I was really looking for history and the meaning of my last name and instead I got people yeah real life <laughs> because human what beings. I discovered, <laughs> yeah because I you know like I didn't know but my great-grandfather he went to the states with two of his brothers and then as soon as they got there they were like no we want to go home we miss mom we, we miss the food oh, yeah. so they left him and he was he was the only one who hung out and made a life in America and he only went back to Sicily maybe twice and then never returned but he left behind like nine or Ten siblings, there were a lot of them. There was a, there was a lot of photocopying going on because there were a lot of people, <laughs> and um, so basically, it didn't dawn on me when this guy was making the photocopies that these, you know, siblings probably had kids and more kids, you know. So when we went upstairs, he looks up this Salvatore guy who would have been my grandpa's first cousin, but they never met because my great grandfather left, right? So um, so now we like we take a walk and it's so hot and we get to this little courtyard. And I can hear that the news is on um, coming out of the window and Mario calls up. He's like, and this little elderly couple sticks their head out of the window. And I didn't understand anything. America, nono, you know, and she's looking for a family, the grandpa, America, the great grandpa. Like, that's all I understand. And they're looking at me like, who is this girl? Cause I was 20. And when I was 20, I looked like I was about 12. Um, and I found out later, Mario was a cop. But he was in, what they say, Borghese. He was just wearing like a normal outfit. So it's a small town. They thought that they were in trouble. They see like a young girl in a sundress. (laughs) Oh my God. And and a cop, you know? So like, so instead of listening to what he's saying, they're like basically like, we didn't do anything. We didn't touch anybody, you know? And he's like, no, no, the great-grandfather, the great-grandfather. So finally I had this Polaroid photo of my great-grandfather when he was like 80. I mean, I don't, and they were really far away up in a window, but for some reason when I held up this photo... And then they all looked at me to say something. And I was like, <clears throat> I started like bawling. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and I could barely say my name. And for some reason that did it, it finally clicked. And next thing I know, they like disappear from the window. The door swings open. They're hugging me. They invited me and Mario in for a gelato. <laughs> <Like> the first <laughs> thing they did was feed me I'm home, <laughs> and um, and then and this guy was he was in his probably eighties, late eighties, and he was a little boy when my great grandfather left, and he remembered going to the port and saying like waving goodbye to my great grandfather. Oh wow! So it was a really cool experience. That was the beginning. There's a lot more, but that's like a whole other podcast. Um, <laughs> it's a, that would take hours to tell, but.
0: I love yeah. that story, Tony. I mean, that's just—it's <laughs> so great. It sounds like you know this would be something that we would see in a Fellini movie or something. It's just—it's a beautiful little story.
1: Thank you. Yeah, my dream actually is to make a movie with Roberto Benigni ah. <laughs> and have him play Mario. Right. That's my dream. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Let's get him on the horn. All right. All so, right. <laughs> so that's Sicily. Let's. Uh, that's how I got sucked in. Yeah. Let's let's go to uh, let's go to Florence. You, you have your tour company, you do food mm-hmm. tours. Let's talk okay. about, because you mentioned gelato. So immediately I go <laughs> in, I, I'm zoned in on that. I um, think that Florence is one of the top gelato towns in Italy. There's, there's a lot of great places you can get agree. gelato, but Florence is one of the best. And I always say to people, you know, when you go to Florence, uh, you know, go to the museum's but search out, search out some good gelato. What are your tips, Tony, for finding good gelato? Because I've noticed someone who's been going to Italy for 20 years, it's been, mm-hmm. you know, back in the old days, you could go pretty much anywhere and get great gelato. Now, yeah. I feel like in some ways you almost have to search it out. That doesn't mean there's less great gelato. It just means it's proliferated everywhere and there's more commercial, industrial strength gelato than there was Mm -hmm. 20 20 or so years ago. So long-winded way of getting to the point of (laughs) how do we find great gelato in Florence?
1: The the tricky thing with Florence, a lot of people say when you go, you know, if you're in Italy, don't eat anything near a monument, but Florence is tiny and the monuments are kind of scattered around. So no matter where you are, you're going to be near a monument. So you have to do your homework Um, So uh, write down what I'm saying (laughs) and then go to those places or just like do a a Google search. But you want to go to, there are really a lot of great gelato shops and I would say at least five historic gelaterie. And I don't have one specific one that I only would recommend because I go to certain places for certain flavors. So also my number one thing would would be, what's your favorite flavor? Like, what are you looking for? If you're open to anything, then just seek out good gelato and try everything. But if you know you love pistachio, you want to go to perkeno You want to go to um, uh, Vestri, Gelateria della la Passera. It's a little teeny tiny place. Ribarreno, actually, um, they have good gelato. Uh, everyone loves a la caraya and i'm not a fan i find it way too sweet Mm -hmm. it's just way too sweet for me and i'm not here to bad talk anyone everybody else loves it for for, i think in this case it's just me
0: personal taste. i would
1: look for i would not go to these the newer places because there's like you were saying now it's it's hard to find authentic gelato because there's so much bad gelato popping up and i think it's because probably what 20 years ago uh, people started saying hey we can make money selling gelato to tourists and so they just started making uh, more industrial you know Packets and things like that, and and so it's easier to to stumble upon bad gelato than it used to be, like you were saying. And so, uh, I mean, what do you want to look for? You want to look at the color. You want to look at the texture. You want to look at how it's uh, being stored. Um, right now, the big trick is everybody's using what are called carapine, which are those. Uh, it's like a metal cylinder with a lid on it, mm-hmm. and those are the old-fashioned containers. So. Generally speaking, when you see that, it's a good sign, but um, there's a, I'm not going to say the name, but there's a chain of gelaterie that you can find in Florence, you can find in Venice, you can find in New York, you can find in Tokyo. And they use that carapina.
0: I know who you're talking about. (laughs) makes
1: it automatically look, do you know which one I'm talking about? (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) So those canisters, you know, tourists might get taken aback by him because you can't see the beautiful mounds of gelato that you're used to seeing in these cases. But this actually keeps it fresher. And that's the thing with gelato. Ice cream, you can store basically forever. Gelato, mm-hmm. you've got to turn it over every couple of days, or else you yeah. know it starts to crystallize. All kinds of problems start happening yeah. with it.
1: Yeah, just like you know, uh, right after a snowstorm, the store the snow is nice and fluffy and beautiful, and then after people stomp on it, it gets <laughs> other than getting the color, other than the colors and things that happen, but just the, the texture changes, and that's what happens uh, more rapidly with gelato because it has a little more air in it. Um, it's a little fluffier, uh, but I mean also. Oh, there's I mean, gelato, I could talk about gelato for hours. But um, I mean, for example, gelato, high quality gelato, what we were just saying applies. But then when you go to the grocery store, and you buy what is still called gelato, it feels a lot less like gelato and a lot more like ice cream, right? Because it's denser. Yeah. And and there's more cream in it. And and chemicals.
0: And it's also not fresh. You know, you you can't you can't have next day gelato in the grocery store or same day gelato in the grocery store. When I was making gelato, I used to love to experiment with different flavors. And Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, is Florence the kind of town where it's all traditional flavors or is there a place we can go where we can get kind of off the wall type gelato flavors?
1: That's a great question. Actually, two of the places I mentioned do the classics, but then they also do off the wall. So perché No? It has been open since 1929, and they don't use any artificial flavors, um, So, and they only make small batches. They don't use the catapina though. They don't use that little cylinder. They use the open face container, but they only make it right to the brim. So the, the trick is if you're getting gelato and you can see the gelato, um, does the gelato look fresh? You want it to look fresh, but you don't want it all to look the exact same Uh, texture and if it all has the same kind of texture and sheen to it even though they're totally different flavors that's never a good sign but then you definitely don't want it when it's stacked really high and they've got you know um a piece of pineapple on one and a piece of str- to show you, because you obviously don't speak Italian, you know, what that flavor is. Because if they hear one more person say fragola, instead of fragola, they're going to have a stroke. So they put the, the strawberries <laughs> on top. Um, you know, they just can't take it anymore. Um, so you don't want to go to the places that are demonstrating the flavor by putting the actual food on top of it. You know, the, the strawberry or the pineapple or Bart Simpson on a surfboard. I saw that one time. Um, I don't know what flavor that was. It was what like bubble gum or something don't silly. Don't have a cow, man. It was – I mean it was one of those junky places I would never get gelato that has the big stacks and they actually had a little plastic figurine of Bart Simpson. Um, he was either on a skateboard or a surfboard but he was he was um, riding the gelato, which mm, <laughs> <laughs> sounds really bad. Um, so, <laughs> so you don't want any, any place where it, that has big, big stacks of gelato because it's basically – it's not hygienic. Um, they're making, that means they're making a big batch and you're not going to finish that in one day. So if it's there the next day, they're either adding more gelato on top to make a stack or mm. it's just been sitting there collecting bacteria. There's just nothing good about a big stack of gelato. So que, sorry, back to your question, because <laughs> <per> que no, <laughs> que no has smaller batches, but you can see they ha, they do have uh, the tag translated into English now. When I first moved here, they didn't. Um, But they'll do your classics like crema, which is like a custard, you know, vanilla cream, egg yolk, sugar, things like that, Um, milk, obviously. Um, But then they'll also do like they have one flavor that's curry. Oh, wow. And I want to say it has little pieces of mango or something like that. So, you know, it's not a savory curry. It's like a sweet. It's almost like a mango lassi with a little bit of curry in it. It's really good. And they make their own yogurt. So they have yogurt gelato, but they actually make the yogurt. So it's really good. And then they have their house flavor that I love is Fior di Latte, which that's just a general flavor that's milk, cream, and sugar, more milk than cream. So it's really, really clean on the mouth. It's almost like um, cereal milk. Mm. And then uh, so milk, cream, and sugar, that's your Fior di Latte. And then what they do is they put toasted caramelized sesame seeds on top so that they don't get soggy. And then they drizzle a little bit of chestnut honey.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: Yeah, it's really oh, good. It got me. Okay. <laughs> it's really good. I'm in. And their pistachio, their pistachio is really, fa- I mean, fantastic. Fantastic. They use pistacchio di Bronte, which is slow food protected. That's where my great grandmother was born. Um, and when I found those relatives.
0: Sicilian pistachios They had are the pistachios.
1: Best. Yeah. They're just so good. My family was drying pistachios in the house. When oh, I walked geez. In. So they were, I was knee deep <laughs> in those, but I didn't know at the time how good they were. Like now I would go back and swim in them.
0: So one, (laughs) one other thing that I think about, about gelato is look at the color too, because in some of these places you'll see like neon Mm -hmm. colors, like a a straw, a strawberry is not neon red, you know, or a raspberry. It's, it has kind of a matte finish to it. And my other, my other one that drives me absolutely crazy is when I see banana gelato that's yellow. It's like a banana is not yellow. The peel of a banana yeah. is yellow, <laughs> but
1: you're not, <laughs> exactly.
0: but you're not <laughs> using the peel to make the gelato. You know, so these are the things, the things that the the tricks that these gelato places will use to draw us in are the exact things that you want to steer away from. The bright colors, yeah. piled high, th- uh, Bart Simpson on a surfboard. This is what you want to <laughs> steer clear of.
1: Pistachio, um, it's not green right. and it's not, um, it's not like a matte or... It's not a uniform color because it's like if you get natural peanut butter, it's kind of gritty. Well, any nut flavor, if they're using real nuts, is going to kind of have a gritty, at least look to it, not necessarily a feel. But with real pistachio, you have little kind of black specks in it. So, and it's kind of like a grayish, beige-ish green.
0: (laughs) If If you look at a pistachio nut, it's not a uniform color. So, you wouldn't expect exactly. the color of the pistachio gelato to be a uniform color. Mm-hmm. Another good tip. Well, um, Tony, the, the holidays are coming up on us real quick. This year's gonna be obviously holidays unlike any other we've had during our lifetime. But um, what are the holidays like in Florence? What's it like around Christmas time if you happen to be in Florence then?
1: So, would you first move here as um, someone that comes from a culture that does cozy Christmas? You're expecting, you know, you're like, I'm in Italy. It's going to be super cozy and amazing. Christmas is amazing, but it's it's a different kind of amazing, and it's really it's all about the food, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, so the decorations, yeah, the decorations have gotten better. I mean, every year they tend to go deck things out a little more, but um, but I I do find like Northern Italy is going to be more of what when you're looking for uh, that super cozy, you know, feeling that Christmas with the the christmas trees and the just the whole the whole package um here it's more like a a, almost a austere uh kind of just elegant uh minimal but present but not um they don't go overboard with the christmas decorations here
0: so they're not putting like a uh they're not putting like a santa claus hat on the uh, statue of david
1: Exactly. <laughs> Not yet. I'm sure eventually it's, it's going to happen, but um <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do have to say last year in Via Tornabuoni, which is kind of, you know, I like to call it the Rodeo Drive of Florence. Um it's it's gorgeous. It's a historic area and it's the the road that you have all the the designer shops. So, um and it's one of the few roads that's you know, the the, the stones are immaculate. You can walk without breaking your heel or stepping in anything and there's very little traffic and it's just a beautiful street and that's the street that they tend to deck out the most in the last few years. So last year it was really beautiful Um, and then I noticed that I was really proud because they had these like a big Christmas present that you could kind of walk into and get your little selfie. And hmm. they had all these different big things. And then when I was in other places, I realized they were doing it in the other cities too. It's <laughs> <I was laughs> like, Oh no, this is like somebody sold this to all the cities, you know?
0: <laughs> and you got sucked in.
1: Yeah. And I got sucked in. But if you're in smaller towns, like I have not been to, for example, I haven't spent time in Sicily for the holidays. Um, but I've heard that these these smaller, more traditional Areas of, of Italy, um, especially further in the south, they have you know um, nativity li- live nativity scenes, right, right. and you'll even find that in parts of Tuscany. But the further south you go, the more religious Christmas is. You know, I mean, you, you feel the roots of it more, and you get the the nativity scenes and things like that. The further north you go, the more kind of elegant. And then when you go really north, and you're kind of you know up in the Dolomites, that's where you get the cozy. The food, I've been lucky enough. You know, I've been here permanently for 18 years. I've, you know, I had to pass the time. So I've dated several of the locals. <laughs> and, working and your way through the population. Of that, working my way through. <laughs> um, and, I mean, mostly, mostly Florentines and other Tuscans. So um, in, in Florence, I've noticed there's um, Tortellini and Brodo, which I really like, which is even more traditional when you go up into Emilia-Romagna. But It's just tortellini served in broth, and then you have all the different meats as your main course, and um, all the fun sauces like mostarda and salsa verde and whatever sauces the family likes, Um, but that's not widespread. It really changes from family to family. Um, I remember one of the first guys I dated in Italy, his family did spiadini, so spiadini I guess in English is what you would, is it a kebab? It's on the stick. It's oh, okay. meat on a yes, stick. Yes, yes. But it's not kebab like you get from the guy that he shaves the meat. Um, so <laughs> sometimes I can't remember how to say things in, in English, but uh, I it, think it we goes call on it a grill. It's
0: on a grill, right?
1: Yes, or where they roast it. Okay. And when they roast it on a girl rosto, so like the turning uh, Oh, okay. Oh yeah, over like because a lot of the houses will have a a fireplace in the in the living room or the kitchen and you just cook right in there like we're not going outside to grill we're just going to grill right here and the first time i saw that that blew my mind and i absolutely love it um so i remember there was there would be like a piece of sausage and then a piece of bread and then there would be a bay leaf and then there'd be another piece of meat and some more bread and the bread when you put it on the girarrosto the the i guess like roasting it on the spit right it's turning over the fire and it's cooking slowly and so all the yummy fat that's coming out of the meat is getting soaked into the bread okay and so, by the time you eat it, the bread is like super oily and super crunchy and super flavorful. So, that's I remember one family was really into that. Um, I also lived in Pisa for a, a couple of years, and his relatives did the sette pesci, so the seven types of fish. And that to, to this day is my favorite. Like, well, either a sette pesci or tortellini and brodo, those are my two favorites for Christmas. So, either the big seafood dinner. Or the tortellini and broth and then all the meats with all the, you know, the boiled meat and the roasted meat and all the different sauces, the different kind of chutneys, the most Um And I'm just talking about two regions or two towns or two little fractions of regions. So, like, imagine the infinite possibilities of what you could eat in this country for Christmas that I haven't even tried yet. <laughs> just, you need, like, several lifetimes.
0: What about, uh, what about cookies or cakes or stuff like that? Anything special that we can just get around Christmas time?
1: Good point. Yeah, we have, um, so the traditional Christmas cakes, um, you have panettone, which is from Northern Italy. Mm-hmm. And you have pandoro. So Pandoro's is from Verona and panettone is from Milan. And uh, panettone is, it's almost like a giant tube of brioche. <laughs> it's like described the the consistency is kind of like a little sweet. And it has candy fruit in it. And it has, sometimes it has chocolate chips, but usually it doesn't. And then it um, will have um, those big hunks of white sugar on top. And uh, a lot of time it'll have almonds on top. It depends because it, it changes, but it's more or less the traditional one. And you can find those in the States now. I've seen them um, at gourmet shops and yes. even like TJ Maxx and Home Goods and stuff like that. And then Pandoro, it's almost the same impasto, like the same dough. It's very similar. It's very understated because Pandoro doesn't have all the stuff. It's just the cake and it's shaped... Like a like a star, but like a star standing up. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense. So it's just like when you slice it, you can cut off like one little wing of the star. You know, okay, like one little point. Gotcha. And both uh, the pandoro. The tradition is um, when you buy these, they're in a bag to keep them fresh and in a box. And um, the pandoro comes usually comes with a little powdered sugar. And right before you serve it, you shake the pandoro in the bag with the powdered sugar to coat it on the outside. And it's really good when you eat it like that, but then it's even better like the next day when the powdered sugar is kind of soaked in, mm. and then you toast it and you throw some Nutella on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of ways to get in trouble at Christmas. Um, and then, I mean, throughout the country, there's a lot of, um, you know, regional and, and just even certain towns will have their, their biscotto, there's a certain type of cake or cookie they make, but those two are the, the big the usual suspects for Christmas. And they've kind of turned into the national, the two national Christmas cakes.
0: I love the panettone. My favorite way to have it is mm-hmm. cut a slice and put it on the griddle. Mm-hmm. So it gets just yeah. a little bit toasty. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. That's a big thing with uh, American, Italian, Ameri- uh, mm-hmm. Italians. I don't know if it's a big a thing in Italy. I can't imagine that it's not, but that's my favorite way.
1: Absolutely. Because what happens is everyone um, around the holidays, you get, um, you have a lot of office parties and you have your friends over and buy, you know how in the States you get stuck with at least one fruitcake. Well, here you end up with a collection of panettone and pandoro and then whatever else people are giving you, um, you know, gift baskets with different sauces and oil. And I mean, it's fantastic, but, um, but you always end up with a surplus of panettone and or pandoro. And you either get creative and do things like toasting it or turning it into um, other desserts like a English uh, you know, pudding where you actually like turn it put it into a custard and put it in the oven. I mean there's all kinds of things you can do with it. Right. But usually you end up, you know, toasting it, having it for breakfast, and then kind of regifting at least three or four of them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so so it's like Just an like American fruitcake cake in that <laughs> you're re-gifting this thing, but it's not like an American fruitcake in that it actually tastes good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it tastes great, yeah, exactly, exactly. I don't, I don't want to give it a bad, <laughs> bad reputation by by saying fruitcake in the same conversation. Yeah, but because it's um, not, <laughs> it, it's the same conundrum you find yourself in. Yeah, it's way tastier, but you do have so many, and it's it's not exactly low calorie, so you don't want to. You know, if you live by yourself, you don't want to get stuck with 10 and eat
0: all of them. <laughs> eat the whole thing one <laughs> night while watching Netflix.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly.
0: Well, Tony, it's just, this has been so much fun talking to you. And I feel like we've just scratched the surface of Florentine food. Yeah. I mean, we haven't talked about beans. We haven't talked about steak. We haven't, so much stuff. <laughs> can, can we do, uh, can we come, have you come back and do another episode with us and uh, we can Absolutely. we can talk about more to. about Florence? Okay, great. I would be glad to. Okay, there you go. Florence, Italy. There are links to Tony's company, Taste Florence, in the show notes. You can get that at radiomisfits.com. We'll have Tony on the show again later to talk more about Florence because, I mean, we talked about Christmas. We talked about great stories about her finding her family, but there's so much more in Florence besides just uh, gelato and panettone. So uh, we'll have her back again real soon. That's it for this week. Next week, break out the streamers and the fireworks. It's episode 100. Our milestone episode of Destination Eat Drink will be in Porto, Portugal, talking about their new wine museum. Until then, DestinationEatDrink.com is waiting for you. My latest blog post is about a Portuguese donut that became wildly popular in Hawaii. You can read about that at DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and our benevolent dictator, Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. Wear your effing mask and I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.